Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello and good day to all you listeners out there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. A fifth-generation Chicagoan, my guest today has enjoyed food and sweets her entire life. A culinary school graduate of Kendall College, she now teaches chocolate classes, pastry classes, and conducts candy tours in the Chicago area. And that is just part of her culinary school story. So now let's meet today's guest, Chef Jennifer Lewis. Jennifer, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on and sharing your culinary school story with the listeners. Yes, thank you. My, my pleasure. I appreciate you contacting me. We met, um, right? In the fall, in the fall, I should say the spring. Yeah, the spring. yeah, it's great. So let's start right out at the beginning. How did you first get into cooking? Where did you get that passion? What was the influence for you? So I actually worked in front of the house first, and I was able to get into fine dining and service and wine service in Wisconsin when I was going to, for my undergraduate. So I was attending for a sociology bachelor's. And I was able to open various French restaurants in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when I came back to Chicago in the summers, I was daunted a bit by the chefs that were here in the city. And I realized after my bachelor's that in order to know more about food, I really would have to go to culinary school. It was very French back in the late 80s. And you had to totally know the French language to be in dining, fine dining, and know about um, the classical foods. Great. And so you decided to go to culinary school and you, you went to Kendall College. Why did you pick that and, and tell us how that uh, materialized? Absolutely. At the time in Chicago, there was a school called Washburn Culinary and the waiting list was one year. Wow. So I came back to Chicago after my bachelor's, worked as a manager in a restaurant and started searching out, what am I going to do next, you know? And a one-year waiting list was just not good. I wanted it here and then now. Kendall College was new. They were accredited and it was intense. It was five days a week for two years, including an internship. And I, I was actually the first intern to go out of state in the third graduating class with an associates. It was a fantastic experience, great instructors, and I've never looked back. It's been wonderful. Now you had already had a degree first before you went to culinary school? Yes, I had a bachelor's in sociology. So getting my associates was, some people said, what are you doing? I said, well, it's really about the food and knowing the, you know, the classics and the techniques, obviously, and the cooking part of it. But I felt I really had to begin at the beginning. And it made a lot of sense to do that because I wasn't learning what I needed just being a manager in a restaurant or a server. Mm -hmm. And so how was that being a 
typically, not the typical student, an older student, uh, someone that already had a degree going to culinary school there at Kendall. Was it an easy fit? Was there other, you know, second career type people there? Or was it more the traditional right out of high school student? Kind of tell us about how that all worked from the dynamics. Yeah, at the time, it was interesting because they were new, meaning that Kendall's new on the spectrum. We had a number of people that had been professional cooks, but we're still lacking the fundamentals of the classical components, right? The repertoire to, to move forward. And then we had a couple of young, younger, like 18-year-olds in the class. But I w- it was a good class where there were 30 of us. There were only three women. And we were, the median age was late 20s, actually. So around my age, I went back when I was 25. And yeah, it was great. It was a, a wonderful because a lot of people brought in uh, experiences from their lives to the classroom as well. Awesome. Tell us about your classes then. What Did you have a favorite uh, when you went through it? Uh, what was your best class? What was the worst? What you wish you could redo again? No, really, I had no idea <laughs> what I was getting into. Um, every day, right? Five days a week. They were intense. I loved everything because I, I love to learn. So that was wonder, wonderful. If someone told me I was going to be baking and pastry instru- instructor, I would have just shrunk. I was completely shy. But my... Most tough exam, I say tough in quotes, was a uh, trout au bleu. I have to say this. This fish came in in a Lexan swimming live. I had to catch it, kill it, gut it, and serve it for an exam. That was like wow. really intense. I didn't hate it, but it was hot. I'm a Midwest woman. I'm not really like a fisher lady. So that was intense. I learned so much. It was exciting. Wow. And so what was the favorite class? Did you have one? I mean, did you? No. No, that's weird. I would say that, right? I loved everything that I did. And at the time, you just spend many, many hours. You know, when you did get to baking, class started at five in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. And if you had dining room service and service in the restaurant, you worked at night, whatever that was. The chefs were unbelievable, great backgrounds from all around the world. And it was an exciting time to be a student. Great. Is there anything you wish you knew before you got there? Like after you were there, you're like, wow, I wish I had known this. This would have been really helpful. Or if someone was going to start culinary school right now, is there something you could tell them? Well, now, nowadays, I feel, um, no, I felt very a complete um, experience there. There's no doubt. What students have that's easier today is the ability to stay connected, okay, uh, through different types of media, obviously. So our instructors at the time were so important, and they still are today, but they were our lifeline to get into the field. And that was what I really cherished. So they had so much experience to share. So spending those elbow hours, you know, literally all different types of cutting, right, cooking, different things. Um, I did a lot of garmanger in my career, a lot of butchering. And I will say, um, I'm so excited that I did that. Probably in the moment, I was exhausted. <laughs> but so wonderful to know all those skills. Great. And then you talked about internship. That was part of the degree, I'm guessing. Yes. And then and w- and tell us about that and then where you went. Yeah, it was an exciting time. I went to Boston. And as mentioned earlier, I'm not that much of a fisherwoman, right? So when I got to Boston, I was cooking more lobster in my first week than I probably ever did in my whole life obviously. But it was exciting. A little bit of a challenge in the beginning. Kendall was fighting me on going out of state. And I said, come on. I said, this is the Ritz-Carlton in Boston. And so we worked it out. And I had a split internship between garmage and pastry. And it was exciting. I worked with people um, from all over the world, quite obviously in a hotel. 
What was different in Boston, I hadn't thought about this, in Chicago, we speak a lot of Spanish in kitchens. But in Boston, they spoke Portuguese. So I was totally thrown back because Portugal is closer, right? If you go east off of Boston. So now this was in the 80s. Not sure if it's still the same, but it was a tremendous experience. Still friends with many people I work with. Great. And why was Kendall not supportive of going out of state? They wanted to support the local businesses or just they didn't want the students to have to deal with the housing and the travel? What was that about? No, I think it was they were concerned about really where you're going to go to work. Well, of course, call the chef up, right? Is she there? Is she clocking in? It was new territory for them. So, of course, if you had something local, they could manage it and make sure you're going there. But the chef was going to totally validate if I went to work or not. And, of course, finding housing and things like that was, um, you know, could be challenging for anybody. But it opened the door for many students years after to go out to Boston. What a great place. Sure, sure. Now, did you get knives? Did you have to bring your own knives? Did they give you uniforms? How did all that work? Yeah, well, a hotel, you know, spoiled over there. They, and that's why I love hotels, is that you had all uniforms. They did supply knives, but in pastry and baking, you tend to bring your own small tools or small wares, a couple knives you can bring on your own. But at the time, they were supplying those type of tools at the hotel. What about Kendall? Does Kendall supply uniforms and knives? Is that part of the tuition? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So all of the schools I've taught at, part of your tuition, quite obviously, are your uniforms and your tools. And by the way, I still have my knives since the 1980s in culinary school. So they were, they're French, right? Sabatier. Excellent. You have a good knife and a good toolkit. It's going to last you a very long time. Yep. And you mentioned teaching. So tell us, where have you taught? Start, you know, maybe right when you got out of the school and your first job or how to take us through that. And where are you teaching now? So I was completely shy. There's no way. I worked for a long time in the industry, many, many years, close to 15 or more than that, 18 years. And someone needed some help at a university nearby to do classes for the um, community. So they said, well, why don't you try? Go over there. The Cordon Bleu, there have some people that are there. Why not you? You went to Kendall. It's a great school. So I did some community classes that gave me a little bit of, um, what do you say, gumption behind me, some courage to speak publicly, right? And then it kind of built up from there. And I moved around and I was able to um, work work and open a couple of schools, which was exciting. I mean, help build a curriculum, work in there, not only in baking and pastry, but also in savory and culinary, because I cooked for so long professionally as well. So I worked for associates programs, for programs, all types, and I adjuncted at a number of schools. Chicago had a lot of schools outside of New York one time. We had the second most in the country. And then where did you go after that? You're, you're, you're- I've been staying connected to teaching for a long time. It was very important for the bachelor programs I work at that I'd be certified. I had work, been working towards my master's. And by the way, if you're going to go in education, go for the master's. But um, I became certified by American Culinary Federation. Very proud. It was a really challenging exam, right? Uh, lots of written exams as well. And I'm also a hospitality educator. I work front of the house. I also taught management classes. So I was able to teach front and back and be quite versatile, as mentioned earlier, savory and sweet. And that's my, my advice to students or anyone interested. Get 
is to take as many skills as you can. Go for it, you know, because you are valuable. You can be moved around from station to station very quickly. Mm-hmm. Someone doesn't show up, you might be the next one. Right. That's usually how it happens for a lot many people. What do you see as the future in culinary schools? What do you see happening going forward? That's a very good question. As we are about to begin classes in a very small environment because of um, health regulations in Chicago, I think students who are going to come to culinary school are going to be way more serious than others. They will have thought it through as to where they want to go with this. A lot of people for a while would just run in and take classes. They might dabble a bit and get a certificate and see, should I quit my day job, right, to become a chef instead? A lot of people decided no. Um, it's, it's not for the, um, the weak. I think most of us will say that. So where is the future? That is a very good question. I, as we speak, I think most of us can agree in the United States that many restaurants are in a flux. What's going to happen? So this might be an entrepreneurial time for many people, but you still need skills. You still need fundamentals to know what to do. You can't learn everything from YouTube. <laughs> Sorry, Shell. <laughs> so now you're about to start uh, a, a teaching academic year at Kendall and you went to Kendall, what do you see the differences now that you have the perspective of a teacher and you were a student? Do you see any similarities, any differences? Do you see changes in the students today? Absolutely. So physically, the campus is completely different. Kendall uh, was merged with a school called National Lewis University, and that makes it different already. Uh, The students today are from everywhere. What I, the most obvious I would say is it's probably equal women and men. And sometimes in baking and pastry, I worked at the French pastry school. Our classes were 80% at least, maybe 90% women. So that was very different. Um, there they had a more of an international market. So about a quarter of the students were international coming in, obviously to the States for those classes. But the face of Kendall has changed tremendously. It also, the schools are more practical. I had to go five days a week. That was a huge commitment. I don't know how, how many days a week you watch up, but five days a week was a commitment for my, I had to change jobs every four months because my schedule changed at school. I mean, seriously, I was a cook at night. I was a breakfast cook. I was all types of things in order to make a living, right? To go to school. So students, you have a flexibility with education that you never had before. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I went to culinary school, I went to Newberry College in Boston. Same thing, they tried to have it replicate a real shift. So if you were doing breakfast, you had to be there at 4.30 in the morning. If and then they had lunch and dinner, which really throws the schedule of the student off. Totally. And like at Johnson & Wales, it's a 7 to 1 and a one thirty to 7.30. So you fit breakfast in there. You fit lunch. You fit dinner. So then you can have a regular schedule right. to take out the classes, to have a life, to have a family, to have a job. Completely. So it's more practical now. Yes. I think a lot of schools have gone to that 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 model. Yes. I think that makes sense for a, a better lifestyle for students, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And. Tell us about candy tours. I saw that on your bio and I was excited. I like candy. So tell us about (laughs) candy tours. Yeah. So believe it or not, Chicago is the capital of candy of the world here. Not to say that every um, manufacturer is making it downtown. Uh, I was a historical docent for the city of Chicago doing tours in um, historical homes. So I learned the history of Chicago. 
and the real stuff, if you will, not just all like Al Capone and, you know, <laughs> the gangsters, right? So that actually helped me with my public speaking. I thought, oh my gosh, every time I walked in on a tour, I was nervous because I'm not an architect and I was giving architectural tours and it all worked great. I did it for a couple of years and I was just noticing, right? I love candy. I'm eating Tootsie Rolls. I'm eating Snicker bars. I mean, whatever. I've eaten so many. And I thought, you know, so many candy companies are in Chicago. I'm like, what if I can do a tour on foot downtown, talk about the history and then interject the history I have with my training and now I've transformed it over the years because businesses open and close. But I've, um, now we stop in gourmet candy shops en route. But I still give you the classical candies. I don't want to take up all the time. But like Wrigley, okay, Wrigley gum. He was really not a, a gum maker. He was a salesman. But Wrigley, um, now, now part of the M&M Mars family, was in Chicago manufacturing. So Juicy Fruit and Double Mint are the same recipe since the 1890s. M&M Mars is ginormous. I'm sure everybody has eaten at least something from that family, right? It's still family-owned. Think about that. Wow. Snickers was their horse. I don't want to bore you. Three Musketeers, well, they used to be three flavors, strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate. And then during the war, they rationed strawberries. Wow. So I could go on and on. So with all my stories, so believe it or not, one thing I must share. You might know um, Ferrero Rocher. Mm -hmm. You familiar? Mm -hmm. Okay, they own Nutella. They bought the Chicago company that owns Lemonheads, Ferrara Pan, made down the street from my house, actually. So Ferrara Pan is Italian, but Ferrero Rocher bought them two years ago. They are the third biggest candy company in the world, including in their portfolio, like Nutella. It's amazing. It's, it's crazy. It's, the candy world is like, whoo, huge. So. I came up with that idea, and I've had a lot of fun with it. And, um, like I say, I like to research as well. I love history, and I love food. So I, I put it together. <laughs> I hope you'll come here in Chicago. Wow. Come on, everybody. I definitely will. My kids would love it. Yeah. <laughs> how many people normally are on a tour? I mean, how many can you handle? Is it 20, 10? It's not, it goes a little crazy if you do more than 8 or 10. And nowadays, with the social distancing, that's it. Yeah. But what's fun about it is we're stopping in route, which makes – you want to hear the students is that um, we stop at a lot of entrepreneurial style shops. So I'll give you, I'm not going to buy M&Ms for you, right? You know how to get them. I might have them in your bag or something. But the idea is that we stop and we go to a place that pairs candy with wine, right? Local chocolatier. Um, there are a number of chocolatiers and candy makers in Chicago that are high end, gorgeous, beautiful uh, truffles and things like that. And so my guests or the customers get to select something from the places we stop at and route. Oh, that's good. So a lot of sampling. Exactly. You got to have a sample. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. So now that you've been in the industry for a while and you've been at school, you've been a teacher, you've been a student, what's some myths that are out there that you could share with the audience that you found that you want to debunk that aren't true, that people always think or they're asking you questions about that, you know, you could kind of uh, clarify for everybody? Well, that's a good question. I think uh, most students, I mean, teaching long enough that not always, but sometimes when we're making things, they're stunned as to how, well, first of all, Many people come to the class with watching television, right? Or whatever, YouTube's on things. And then when they walk in, they're a little daunted to be in a commercial kitchen uh, for school. And then all of a sudden they realize what they saw necessarily is not the same as putting it into tactile. 
the tactile is different. So the myth of watching is completely different. It's visual, and you can be a visual learner, but then putting it into physical, you know, prep and whatever that might be is completely different. So that myth of, oh, I can just watch it. No, practice, practice. You do get better with practice, you know. You walk, you exercise, you get better, you build. The same muscle memory with your fingers, your hands, again, brain, like all these things together. So the myth of just learning from online is, <laughs> it's difficult. It's great to come in and truly be engaged with an instructor. Yeah, I agree. I used to do the, you know, the demo. You demo right. fabricating a chicken, flying a fish or something. They're all like, yeah, yeah, we got it. And then as soon as they walk away and try it themselves, they're like, uh, how did you do that? Because <laughs> seeing <laughs> it, they think it's, oh, I can get that. But doing it is a whole nother skill. How many wings did the chicken have? Okay. <laughs> yeah, good. Before you commit to a school, you get a job in the food industry. Start, understand what it's like to be prepping food and being around it. You know, it's... For some people, it's completely not sexy at all. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, it's so much work. It's so much repetition. But it's important that an 18-year-old, they come right out of high school, no matter what age, you have to have had a job. I went, actually, I didn't say this in there. I forgot about it. I thought before I went to culinary school, I would work in the back of the house of a restaurant I managed to see if I wanted it that bad. I mean, I, I had a lot of crummy jobs. Like, have you ever had pork crepinette? Mm -mm. It's the... Um, intestines actually of the pork and you wrap the pork patty in it so it's really oh it's like it's clean but it's a funky thing you know i'm wrapping it was a bistro i was doing all this i did it for free i wanted to make sure i was going to be able to commit to working these kind of funky jobs and back then it was you know completely it was very french and european you know that the kitchens completely i don't think i had an american boss until the 90s but anyways just the commitment to understand that even a small job, it doesn't matter what it is, but food preparation to really see what it's like before you take on a school. Yeah, to get some practical experience always helps because like you mentioned, they're, they're in shock when they see the size of a commercial kitchen and the, some of the industrial equipment that we have in there. They're like, wow, this is a little different than home. So kind of breaks down that shock a little bit. And then they have to clean too, right? They have to wash dishes and do the floor. <laughs> yeah. A lot of battles on that one. I don't really. Who isn't there? Someone that comes in and does this? I don't see this on the Food Network. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me, um, who are three people who have influenced you the most? Three people in your career could be personal, professional, um, could be dead or alive, could have been you know fictional. Something who influenced you? When I was making my decision on culinary school, I had a mentor who was a master carpenter, actually. And so at the time, I was saying, you know, these are skills that you will have forever. You'll be able to go to many jobs with this, the skills that you have for yourself or what you take with you. So I had a mentor through that. Over time, my mentors have changed, quite obviously. As a, a not as a female, I, I wish I had more mentors when I was younger. I really do, because it was a lot of, I work with great people, but I didn't have a lot of role models. There's no, I mean, I don't care what people say about Julia Child. She wasn't my role model. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't my sphere of life, you know. Um, I was very uh, lucky. I was in really high-end hotels here in Chicago, great dining, fine dining. But I didn't have a lot of mentorship, I hate to say that. I just kept going at it. And sometimes um, my deviations helped, like being a tour guide for the city. I love to learn. 
So kind of blending my life through what I've done has helped me. I don't really have any <laughs> This sounds weird. I don't. Maybe a family member. I mean, a lot of people have. Yeah, supportive. Supportive would be the appropriate word, not a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, supporters of what you're doing. And absolutely. I wish there were more. This sounds weird. But um, no, I love travel. I love food. So those kind of things stoke fire in you to give you um, creativity as well. How do you think we could change that? Because there's probably people out there that wish they could have mentors or if, you know, Absolutely. how find them? How, how? That's a good idea, actually. Think about that. What if in your program you had people who uh, said, hey, I would be a mentor to somebody and you could pair people. That's quite possible. And just say, hey, you know, whatever. That's actually kind of a cool idea because right now we're going through such a transformation in food and in education in the world because of all this. So mentorship anytime is wonderful. But obviously, but it would be so wonderful to have that. And when I worked for Lexington College, excuse me, it was an all-women's college, very small. I used to have guest speakers, and I we had the same lunchtime for everybody. That's how small we were. So the guest speakers were available. You could come in and listen. And they were um, very inspirational speakers. A lot of entrepreneurs, by the way, but some were just people wanting to share their passion for, let's say, being a concierge, right? So... We were a hospitality management program as well. And this woman talked about earning her keys that they wear. I don't ever know if you notice on the lapel Mm -hmm. for the concierge, if they earn those keys, it's like a big deal. It's like a, you know, like a master chef, to be honest, like a CMC in the world of concierge. So that type of, that was mentoring people are just kind of like, wow, what a cool idea. Mm -hmm. You know, that's so neat. I never thought about that. And who's to say, you know, you wake up and I'm going to be a concierge. But um, it gives you thought. Chef, you might be onto something. Mentor, pairing people would be cool. And now we can do it through Zoom to many places. Yeah. I just had a guest uh, owner of Pineapple Academy. He was on the show. Um, oh. And um, he, he actually, his his episode just released this week. And he offered right on the show that he would mentor or be an advisor to anybody that reached out to him. And especially his niche kind of is um, a healthcare, food service for healthcare now. And he actually has some courses that he offered people to take for free. And he said, if anyone wants any information, because he was even talking about chefs. He's like, you know, they're getting laid off in the industry and these days because of the pandemic and they're losing their jobs. But if anyone wants some coaching or ideas on how to get into this part of the industry, because I'm willing. And I was like, wow, that's really- That's great. Well, I would say I would could be a mentor as well. Because I, like I said, I've worked front of the house, back of the house, side of the house, you know what I mean? All types of places and different ideas. And I haven't always, by the way, been in you know, instructor, I've been in containerized shipping and logistics of food and tariffs and things like that. That was a a big part of my career for a while as well. So people are excited to take somebody in logistics that has a food background. You're shipping food everywhere in the world and you know what's going on. You have a sanitation license and you can have logic. Does that make sense? You have logical thoughts like, hey, a reefer, refrigerated container. Oh, you know, I mean, what you're thinking about Sometimes the shipper is not thinking, but you have to think for them. Right. Know? Yeah. So if someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they get a hold of you? Because I can put something in the show notes, a website. Oh, sure. or a link. You can get a hold of me on my, my candy tour website. Okay. okay so it's, I think I gave you the link on there. Yeah. And I'll get it off your, your bio sheet here and I can put that into your bio that I link. And then, and then if people want to reach out to you and, you know, want to talk about 
anything in the industry, outside the industry, or even Chicago or school? Absolutely. Advice? Yeah, yeah. Like I say, um, fifth generation here because I mean, I've seen just all the changes of Chicago, you know, family, obviously, for a long time. But yeah, I'd love to be a mentor. And that's that's a cool thing if you were having, and you know, there's a, do you listen to National Public Radio? All the time, yeah. Okay. I forget the name of the show right now, but they have uh, two people sharing their experiences. They tend to be family members, not always, but they'll talk about when something in their lives. Oh yeah. Story core or something like that. Right. Yes, that's it. Absolutely. So sort of the same thing. You could, you have the mentor and the mentee and you know, if something comes out of it, they can share their side. Yeah. We met here. It's sort of, it's a longer journey, quite obviously, but um, sometimes there's immediate journeys. Yeah. So here's a way of, you know, making connections anyway, and at least as a starting place for someone that's out there listening, that's thinking about going to culinary school, has questions about certain parts of the industry. There's another link and we'll have that on the bio page. Well, that's how we met. We met on LinkedIn, right? Just seeing that you're a chef out East or just a chef in general. And then I'm like, oh, he has a PhD, he has a show, you know. Obviously, if that source, we would have never met. Maybe at an ACF convention, right. but probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I use LinkedIn a lot, you know, I, I have connections. And that's how I met a lot of the guests yeah. that are on this show and, and just, you know, uh, people looking for employment, whether in the culinary field as a teacher or, you know, something like that, that I can say, sure, I know an opening here. And, you know, that's that's what the world, yeah. especially today with the pandemic, we don't get that time face to face. Right. You know, we have to use this social media, this technology to make those connections. Yes. Yes. Exciting. Um, how about some books? What books would you recommend? What, you know, what have you read or listened to recently? What would you recommend as a book if someone was you know, maybe getting into this field or was going to go to culinary school and say, oh, this is a book that you know you need to read or this is a good book for you to have in your repertoire? Yeah, that's funny you say that. Thank God the schools are more organized than when I went to school because they're really, I hate to this sound so archaic, but they're really weren't great textbooks at all. In the 1987 is when I went to culinary school. So they're like, here, and they give you a book on France. You're like, that's nice. Mm-hmm. You know, regions of France or whatever. Yeah. I did have a repertoire. Well, first you had to go to the library, right? Yeah, right. Find a book. Today, it's like, you know, everything's on the web, the internet, and you find information <laughs> that way. So, you know, I don't even know if there's books being used, but maybe there is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, to me, yeah, the inspiration can be somebody probably online for a lot of people. But there are some fantastic and gorgeous books, the visuals of food, you know, um, you might be able to relate to the chef when you're doing all your studies, like with an academic program, you're so exhausted from reading. All I want to do is look at pictures. (laughs) I was sociology reading so many books. I was like, Hey, I love those picture books of food presentations, you know, and now we have it online quite obviously. I hate to say just to you, I don't really have one particular book. It might be like a book on chocolate or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess one of those. It's really more specialized. Hey, wait a minute. Your book. What is your book? You have a book. Tell us. Well, it doesn't have to be the recommendation. While we're on the books, I just thought about that. You have a book. Tell us the name of your book. Absolutely. Midwest Sweet Baking History. It was put together by a thing called History Press. Now it's Arcadia Press. But it's local people writing about local history. So I interviewed someone in every state that touches Lake Michigan. Wow. Okay? So Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, obviously. Everyone knows a Twinkie, don't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I actually have 
the original image when Twinkie was Twinkie, they were sold since the book came out. Wow. You'll love the photo before sanitation. <laughs> Nobody's, well, one's wearing gloves. The original filling on a Twinkie was banana. Huh. And then it ended up being regular custard. So what I do is I talk about immigration. No, wait a minute. Now, talk about, talk about the Twinkie. Is it true that it could last forever? Was it like, you know, shelf stable? Uh, yes, that's what they say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But so I, what I did is I took um, ingredients, people's stories, history. As I mentioned, lots of entrepreneurs. The first brownie in, in a written form is from the Palmer House Hilton. And they still make it every single day in the hotel, probably until the pandemic since the 1890s and it was invented if you will made for a luncheon for the world's fair in chicago and all these different things but i met amazing people truly amazing people in this journey an hour and a half from my house live a lot of amish and they invited me to their home my mother's friend bought a horse (laughs) from them so we were able to get into their kitchen and they baked unbelievable full table of food, talked about their celebrations, which are typically weddings and takes a long time to make all the food, obviously. And people come by buggy, horse and buggy. So they stay overnight, <laughs> you know? So the idea on that, um, that book was a combination of my bachelor's and my culinary together and students invoking lots of questions. Great. So it's a history book, but the culinary spin of that region. Yeah, and immigration too. I actually had to do a lot of research because somehow I'd never had a lot of immigration in my personal studies. So um, it was interesting. There's a lot of legislation that happened. It's pertinent, obviously, to everybody, but specific possibly to the uh, Midwest as well. Well, that's a great book to recommend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What do you think are your unique skills that helped you become successful where you are now? I'm versatile, no doubt. So as mentioned, even in my internship in 1989, I was in Garmage, was butchering, I was making sausage, right? Doing whatever you do in Garmage, and then also pastry. I was a line cook. So versatility and going with change, willing to be, it's hard to always have, have a happy face, but willing to go with the flow, understanding what it's like as well. So the front of the house experience was essential because a lot of back of the house people, daunting for students the first few times is very like, oh, weird. It doesn't come natural. Why would it? You're only used to doing something probably at home. But to be versatile, to be open, and that is, um, I know I have that, that skill. It's not that anyone said that was what I earned, but I guess I've earned it over time. <laughs> Would you do it all again? Cost, the time, those five days, getting up early, all that. Would you do culinary school again? Would you change anything? You know, I would, absolutely. It's so my undergraduate fortified what I wanted. So I was going to college, working in fine dining in, you know, like another state, seeing what it was like, realizing I'm not really interested in my bachelor's. <laughs> I'm there, I'm doing it. I like what I'm doing, but I'm like, this is, doesn't have my heart. But I like all my side jobs, you know, and just kept taking those steps. So it takes steps sometimes, and some people wake up and know what they want. But I like all the steps that I took. Um, I also don't think I could ever be a strong instructor without what I have behind me. I can talk about any topic. I'm not saying I know it all. But I can say without, you know, reservations, talk about a lot of different things and show you many things. And to me, it's exciting. I love new ideas. And this is a time of entrepreneurship. And so maybe as we spoke earlier, 
connecting people is a great thing. And earlier you mentioned the CMC, Certified Master Chef. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts on certification, on, you know, outside of a curriculum in a in a program like certificates, certification. Um, speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. So I'd say about 20 years ago, you'd look for jobs, whatever. I mean, I had okay skills. As I moved along, and certainly the last 10 years, as you move up the food chain with more experience, a certification quantifies what you have accomplished. I mean, you can say, hey, I'm a good cook, and do a demo or do whatever, but that will separate you from people who are competing for the same position. And I also feel when you go somewhere to a school, any school, I don't care, culinary or whatever, you need to research your instructors. You want to see what have they done? What do they bring to the table? Okay. So to earn a, a certification, now, CMC is Certified Master Chef, obviously. I worked for the uh, French pastry school. And it was so interesting because the French, they have their standards, right, of what they think are high level in France. And we have, and I won't butcher it with my bad French, but they're MOF, you know, and they, it's like a really prestigious thing. There's only about 100 in France. My boss was that. A CMC is the same in the States. That is a really and tremendous thing to, you know, obtain. So knowing that you're teacher or whoever your boss has obtained something like this, it's a kind of knowing in the back, chef, you have a PhD. That's not like a lightweight thing. It took time. Mm -hmm. So those are important. And uh, anyone out there, that's why university is called a university, right? Because you have so many people with PhD in studies. Does that answer? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and like you said earlier, it's, it's a love of learning. And that's in my case, I have right. five degrees. It's not to, to, you know, necessarily put a feather in the hat though it does help, yeah. uh, but it's also, I just love learning. You know, I just love learning more. I, I would go for another degree if my wife would let me. She'd be like, no, you're done. <laughs> so it's, yeah, certificate. I actually have mine right here over my shoulder here. I got a couple of them on the wall there. And it's like, you just, you know, you get them. It just gives, you know, a credibility, but it also challenges yourself. And it shows that you not only have the academic part, but you actually have the skill and you, you've worked in the industry, you know. And I think that is key, what you mentioned. Know who your instructors are. Who is teaching you? And what, what gives them that qualification to, you know, pass that knowledge on and i think you know you sh should know who that is so you know you're getting right. and be able to really be a sponge and, and take everything that they're offering yes yes what advice would you give to someone uh that wants to pursue a career in food service or culinary arts because maybe they don't know anything about it so what would you tell them um i know you said they should get experience yeah. to start is there anything else that you would want them to know that would be critical for someone that's in high school, say, that's thinking about, oh, this is the career for me? So I've worked at a, a number of different institutions, and it doesn't matter what age you are. You need to have some exposure. The hands-on, the experience is very helpful. But the advice is that no, I mean, my advice four months ago would be different in a way. Mm. Today, the advice is to research where you think you want to go with this now. It's a big time of change in every field, but there's many possibilities. Like a lot of this at-home food service um, is interesting, but delivery food service, I don't mean like um, takeout, something that's healthier, more upscale. There's a lot of manufacturing of food, you know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to go with food 
than we had imagined than before. I think uh, there's a lot of area for improvement in takeout. Yes. Because it's always been like the stepchild. Mm -hmm. But now with this pandemic, these takeouts, I go to restaurants. I want to try to support the community. And they, they do it all wrong. And we could have a <laughs> class on how to you know, right? package it, how to make sure it stays hot. Make sure you check the orders. How many times do you get home and it's yeah. missing something? It's like, who's the expediter right. for takeout? So I think there's a whole you know area for uh, improvement in, yes. in that area, especially if it's going to be the you know a big percentage of restaurant business these days. Yeah. And again, you know, look who your instructors are. Research the institution. Think about what's your end game with this? I mean, a more mature adult tends not to want to just be a line cook, you know, just an average cook. Younger person might go with that flow. Um, what I saw in one of the schools I worked at, you had a lot more mature audience coming in, and they had to really assess what they were doing with this because it was such a concerted effort to take time out in their life to do a, a bit of a career change or at least a stop, stop, uh, we say a stop type of thing with their life. So and a 40 year old is going to approach it a little different in a way than an 18 year old. But the idea is that just really, what is your end game? You just can't walk in nowadays. I think you're going to have to be a lot more conscious. What is something you failed at? What obstacles or roadblocks got in your way and how did you get through them? I usually was the only female on a shift and that never bothered me. Never. When I had my jobs, it was fine. I was just, we were working. Um, sometimes though, it's like anywhere. It seemed though, as a line cook being a woman, sometimes the guys were really tough on you. <laughs> but I was like, no, forget it. I'm, I held my own, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't think it really had any big obstacles. I'll be honest with you. That's normal. You pin in the butts everywhere, right? Wherever. It could be the front of the house, back of the house, wherever, whatever it is. Um, I would know. I, I think I thought of something right now. I was at the Four Seasons Hotel, and the executive sous chef said, you're not strong enough physically to do something. It's a woman, by the way, who said this to me. I go, strong enough? She was talking about working up in banquets, and the guy who had the job is somebody I went to school with. <laughs> I go, what? I thought, oh, my God. She's kind of like putting the thumb on me. So I moved on to a, a different place because I was like, it, whatever, just there was one person, one chef that opened it, then the executive sous chef would take over that position after the hotel is open. And I thought, if she thinks I'm not strong enough, that's ridiculous. Who could say that you can't say that nowadays? No. She was a female. So what do you think? Is that a reflection on yes. her that she wasn't strong enough? Or oh my God. I was like, not strong enough. It's like pushing around carts. I mean, it's not like I'm bringing in cattle from the field or something. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that's not a good sign if she's giving me a hard time. <laughs> so whatever, I got through it. So what's next for you? What's What do you see the future? What's happening? What's what's your plans? So I love research and development. So I want to try a little bit more of that. I had done some of it for a company. Um, I have a chance to be able to do it as a part-time thing in this economy. We'll see. But I just think it's so interesting. Baking is science. Um, it can be non-science if you want it. Obviously, if you make recipes all the time, the same one. But it is scientific. Things are happening. They have to put in an order for it to happen, the end game, right? So I love research and research and development together with food would be woo, so wonderful. We'll see what happens. So as a fifth-generation Chicagoan, what do you see going on in the city there? Is it's changed? It's, where's it going? What's its future? What, what's, is it good? Is it bad? Right now? Yeah. We are at a very challenging moment in Chicago. 
I hope we can uh, get through it. We've been through a lot in the city before. As a tour operator, I mean, I'm on the ground literally checking it out to see what's going on. And the COVID really has uh, made a big challenge too. I hope Chicago will pull through. My heart is here. You know, it really is my family. So um, we'll see what happens. So as we come to the end of our chat today, and before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance you want to leave with the listener? You know, something that you want to share? Yes. Be a sponge. You know, it sounds maybe so plain, but when you're in school, ask your chefs, talk to your chefs, talk to your classmates. This is your first front to the professional world, typically. And they're right there and you have already met them. And hopefully, you know, when you finish your classes, you'll have spent all this time together. My core from my beginning professionally was my my class, obviously at Kendall College. And that professionalism lasts my entire career here. So think about that. Look around the room, you know. These are people who will know you. And if you have a, a strong relationship with your instructor and they believe you are a hard worker, they will assist you 99.9 in your next steps professionally. They're excited because that's what we're about. That's what a teacher is about, launching people into the field, something we love. And my first jobs were from my chefs that I worked with every day. They really were. And they were also the, um, the evidence, right? The evidence of who you were showing up five days a week, two years, all those things. And um, I've never looked back. Good luck to you. That's why I say there's so many possibilities out there. It's exciting. Good. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to first thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciated your time, your insight, and your honesty. Thank you, Chef, for having me today. Very exciting. And I truly mean this when, as it goes out as a message. If you have questions about Chicago, about food, about just being in the industry as well, please contact me at chicagocandytour.com. I'd be more than delighted to respond back. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. And uh, enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.